Alright guys, well welcome to another episode of Searching for Grog. How's everybody doing? Doing real good. Good to be back. Tired. Why are you so tired, Grog? Ah, just tired, I think. It's been a long time since I've talked to you and you, you fill my soul. How about that? I feel like people who answer how are you doing questions with tired are just people who want attention. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh-oh. Let's get into it. Let's dig into this. This is, I, Like people who say fine, they just don't want to they don't want to talk about it anymore. But the people who say oh, I'm just so tired. Can you ask me more questions, please? I just need to feel seen. <laughs> Bro. Those are probably the kind of people who consider busyness as a type of like social credit, you know. Just been are busy you, lately. Yeah, good point. Yeah, you brag about well, how many hours you worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how many of them are unpaid. And you're like, oh, good for you. <laughs> well, anyway, let's not, um, let's not socially uh, uh, psychoanalyze Norton here. So on the last episode, I showed you guys a bunch of the source material for this game, which was the you know failed pilot, uh, Pride of the X-Men. And... I had this idea at the time that perhaps Marvel had just taken all of that, you know, the, all of the voice work and audio and just kind of sent it part and parcel to Konami to build the game for like cross promotion, things like that. And so with that kind of running theory, I went and watched the episode a couple of times. And although Colossus is there, he doesn't ever yell. Right. But that's not really conclusive. Like it could be that, Maybe they cut out audio of him yelling, or maybe they recorded additional audio of him yelling for the game or something like that. And so I wanted to kind of like be sure that we could actually check this box off or not. So I looked for who did that voice work, and it's a man named Dan Gilvezan. And are any of you guys familiar with that name at all? No. No, never heard it. Dan Gilvezan? Dan Gilvezan. Yeah, how do you spell that? G I L. V-E-Z-A-N. No, I've never heard of him. Yeah, I thought you were going to lead me down that <laughs> path. So you might got, maybe you guys don't know his name, but I'm certain that you're familiar with his work because he did the original voice of Bumblebee on the Generation 1 Transformers. This better work! Where is the blasted thing? He did... Peter Parker in the old Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. I can always count on you for snappy dialogue. He basically voiced a whole bunch of our childhood. And if you don't remember any of those voices, you'll probably remember him from all the Jack in the Box commercials back in the 80s. He did a bunch of those as well. Let's compare the Bacon Cheeseburger Supreme at Jack in the Box with McDonald's Bacon Cheese... Oh, they don't have one. They got a Big Mac. Close enough. And he did, he was on a whole bunch of shows in the eighties too, doing traditional voice, not just voiceover work, but traditional acting. So he's a really, really prolific voice actor. And so I thought, okay, this guy probably has the chops to do it. Um, Whether he did or not, I don't know. So I tried to reach out to him through social media to no avail. Um, I tried to reach out to him through his website because he wrote some books about his voice work and I didn't get through. And I was even trying to reach his agent. None of it was really working out. And I was about to give up on this path. And then I kind of had this thought occur to me. A lot of these voice actor people are on Cameo. And so I thought maybe he's on there. Maybe I can find him and I can kick him some shekels to kind of answer our questions. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever used Cameo. Have you any of you, have you any of you tried it before? 
that's the thing where you where you pay celebrities to make like little statements like two minute videos or whatever for people exactly so the thing about that request there is like you don't have much space it's really limited how much you can type in the request it's basically less than a tweet probably and certainly not enough for me to explain our whole podcast and situation that we're looking for <laughs> um and you also can't put any links because my first thought was maybe I'll just put a link to a YouTube video of Colossus yelling and say, Hey, is this you? But it doesn't let you do that either. <laughs> and so I had to like be really careful and clever how I put my words in there to fit in this space and try to get the idea across to him. So, um, he was really, really cool in the way he responded. So I'm going to play for you guys now what that sounds like. You guys ready? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Hey Grog, it's Dan Gilvezan, voice of Colossus from the pilot uh, which never got made into a series, Pride of the X-Men. Now, Adam uh, has asked me to send you this cameo because of a burning question, apparently, you guys have had. And that has to do with the video game, which was based on the 1989 uh, pilot, not series, unfortunately. Um, did I do the voice and the yell, specifically, uh, in the video game? And here's the answer. May we have a drum roll, please? No, I did not. I did do the voice of of Colossus in the uh, in the pilot, which was never picked up, unfortunately, because we all would have had a good time doing it. But uh, I did not do the yell on the uh, the video game. And I must say, this is the first time uh, I've done a few of these uh, uh, cameos. I've never been asked to do homework before, and yet I have done my homework, and I have viewed the Colossus Yell, and I'm going to give it to you, even though I did not do it, although I think I could do it. Here oh, it comes. Are you dude. ready? Yeah. Uh, now, there's a lot of processing that goes into that, too, but it's uh, <laughs> like that. I hope I didn't blow your ears out or anything. <laughs> All right, so this video goes on. I'll send you the real video because it's even better when you can see him doing it. But um, he was a super sport. He, I told him, just Google the video, watch it. And even if you haven't done that, even if you didn't do the voice, please do your impression of it. And he, he was more than obliged to do all of that for us. So that's awesome. It was easily the best money I've spent <laughs> on Cameo for sure. I feel like we should kick in for that, bro. Well... He's paid, and I, I don't. I'm quite happy with the with the purchase that I made. So, <laughs> that's incredible, man. That's so cool. Yeah, what a good sport to to join in on that. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it goes on for a while. He talks about his work on you know uh, Transformers and stuff like that. So it's really cool. Um, but anyway, so I feel like this is one box we can check and say it's clearly not that guy. And so I decided to go another route which is to kind of um, look up the sound team that actually made the game and try to contact them there at Konami, right? So um, I don't know how much you guys know about the way that Konami made games or the way they made their music and stuff, but there was um, there's a group called the uh, Konami Kukeha Club. Have you ever heard of this before? No, I don't think so. No. no. So if I think for like super nerds, who might be listening to this show, they're like, wow, have you never heard of that? But basically the sound engineering team at Konami was called the Konami Kukeha Club. And Kukeha in Japanese means the square wave. And there's a reason why it's called that. 
um, and I'll get into the kind of physics of that, I guess, in a, in a minute. But basically, these guys created all of this legendary music from the video games back then, you know, like Castlevania. <laughs> Metal Gear um, and including these X-Men games which that soundtrack is totally it slaps from beginning to end you know like with the weird yeah. with the weird little ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ah, on the jungle level yeah. and stuff you know um, and so just when you think about like 1990s technology how they were able to get that kind of sound on these games is pretty incredible um and these guys were all part of that but not only was the kukeha club the name of the sound design team but it was also an in-house band so konami had their own house band that would go on, like, they would perform concerts, they would go on tours, they put out albums. And not only was that going on at Konami, but Capcom had their own in-house band called Alpha Lyra, and Sega had their own in-house band called SST. And there were all these, like, game companies that had their own house bands that were going out and performing this music before these bands like The Advantage and the Mini Bosses and stuff were, like, making this kind of retro cool back then at the time they were making these games, they were out doing these like, huge concerts in Japan. And so some of the guys who did the design for this game, the sound design, were like core members of this Kukeha club that went around making that kind of music. So it's a pretty cool lineup already. So hold on a second. Let me just, let me just clarify, because this is a world I know nothing about. So not only were there were there giant concerts in Japan where they would do video game music, like mm -hmm. band house bands would do video game music, but there are currently bands that are now doing that again, like you said, being retro cool. Like I could go to a show where they play the X-Men theme song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like a big one is called the Mini Bosses. They, they just go and play old, and it's mostly Konami and Capcom music because those were the two... Uh, companies that made the best music like think about Capcom games like the Street Fighter dun, 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 dun. you know like that that music or like Mega Man all these ones it was like really badass rock and roll music but on these little chip tune in these little tiny 8-bit chips and um, yeah so there's people who are remaking it now but they were doing it back then, yeah, like with synthesizers and, and you know, electric bass and stuff like that. Um, That's incredible. It seems like uh, as part of our homework, at least one of us should go to one of these shows. Oh, sure. Well, actually, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, Bob, my best friend from uh, high school, he's actually coming here to Japan later this summer with the mini bosses what? on tour. What? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I'll oh I, my God. I'll definitely go watch them if you want. I've seen I've seen some of these bands play before. The Advantage is another one that used to play back in the day, but yeah. But I, I haven't seen any of the original Kukeha or Alpha Lear. I've never seen any of that. Did you uh, did you guys know that this exists? I've never heard of it, but it almost seems weirder to be contemporary 
like the I get the retro part of it now, like because those games you've listened to that music over and over and over again. I can't imagine going to listen to video game music that's like just coming out that I, <laughs> yeah. you maybe you haven't ever even heard before. But you're like super fresh cover band of video game music. Yeah, but I mean, I guess niche. a lot of that it is kind of like this heavy metal kind of rock music. It is, yeah. And yeah. so you just go for that, for the cool music part of it, even if you don't connect it with the video game yet. Exactly. And when you think about that music, so I don't know about you guys, but when I listened to video game music back when I was a kid, I just imagined somebody programmed it on a computer and just went and played it. But they're actually playing real instruments some of the time, you know, um, or at least they have to have the instrumentation down in order to make this music. But um, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with this idea, what the kukeha, this square wave, because um, when you think about like an actual instrument, like, you know, a classical like guitar that you pluck the string, what you have is this kind of smooth sine wave of the of the sound wave oscillating, right? That's what creates the sound in your ear. And when you try to digitize music, you're basically going between this one and zero kind of value you're getting these it's literally a square wave where it just goes up and down like this you know um and that's kind of the way that digital music like or digitizing music is created right and so that's kind of what these guys were doing they were at the forefront of that um actually one of the guys on this game his name is yuji takenouchi in the game he's credited as y technouchi but he created like this um, SCC chip for Konami that was specifically made for kind of creating digital uh, digital music. And this is, you know, right around the time when like MIDI was becoming this standard format yeah. for digitizing instruments. And so these guys would take like, um, basically they would sequence the music using samplers and like a Roland 500, stuff like that. And they would put it onto these chips there's a really cool interview actually where somebody interviewed uh, Takenochi, the guy who I was just talking about, and they got him talking about like the different chipsets that they would use and how they would go about. Basically, Konami had their own software suite that was all built in-house for programming music. But he said he was the kind of guy where he would write it all out on a keyboard first and then bring it in there and write it into the in-house chip and, you know, kind of layer these things so he'd have like a vibrato from one instrument and stuff like that but all of it's based on this this idea of the square wave you know all that digital music is and that's the kind of technology behind like synthesizers the big synthesizer boom of the 70s and 80s that's what gave us you know music like Depeche Mode and I don't know Death you Punk. know like <laughs> yeah yeah um, well everything everything almost everything started yeah derived in the 80s derived from the waves in, that are created with, yeah, those mini Moogs and all that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah, the Moog. The Moog is a classic example. That's one of the first synthesizers that kind of created this. And even, even like distortion on a guitar, what you're actually doing is you're chopping off the high and low end of the waveform and you're creating what was a round sine wave. You're basically creating a square wave and that's what kind of makes it crackle and, and sound broken. Um, and so all of electronic music and even just electrical music, like amplifying music, basically at some point you're taking these waves and converting them into these square waves. And so mathematically it's super interesting, but like these guys were at the forefront of bridging like traditional analog recording and like creating straight 
unique digital music, you know? And so it's such a cool thing because these guys are trained as musicians, but they have to find these technical solutions for how to get their stuff in there. It really reminds me of like when we were talking to Jack because he was like trained as an animator and like claymation guy. And he wanted to get that stuff into these games, but he had to figure out how do we do this through motion capture and stuff to like digitize it. So that's kind of what these guys were doing on the music front. And it's, it's just a super interesting world. I really recommend if you have any chance looking at the Kukeha club and all that kind of stuff. That's super cool. Yeah. It's really interesting that, um, yeah, now like in the music world, we use MIDI all the time, but we actually use it in reverse. So like we'll use MIDI to score things and like electronic instruments are easier to use in MIDI because you can you can do this thing called quantizing where you you can take like if you do like eighth notes like da 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 like humans aren't going to play those like super straight. But if you're putting them in a computer, you can press the quantize button and make it perfectly subdivided mathematically. And then once we do all that, then we transcribe it from MIDI and then we play it live. But when they were doing it, they had to go the exact opposite because the technology wasn't there yet to just to just compose things in MIDI. Yeah. So they're converting like these awesome real band things to a smaller... It's just such an interesting... Uh, how how that technology still exists all over the place. Yeah. Um, and people are going back to these square sawtooth uh, triangle sine waves and trying to create cool things out of them. But yeah, it's a, uh, wow. What a cool thing. I thought you'd have something to say about it because, you know, you being a musician and stuff, that's why I really wanted to get an interview with these guys and kind of talk to them about that. Now I'll tell you right now, I'll just blow my whole wad right at once and tell you, I didn't actually get an interview, but I did speak to uh, Yuji Takenouchi, who now Ooh. he's the guy who made like music for like, you know, Dark Souls and like Metal Gear and all these other cool, cool games like that. And um, I, I did have a little bit of a chat with him and I didn't get anything recorded, but I got a Japanese voice actor to kind of uh, tell you what he told us. So I basically contacted him and I wanted to know, you know, because if you look at the credits, like I said, none of the voice actors are credited, but there are a lot of people who are credited for their sound work. Mm -hmm. And especially the guy at the top. So his name is S Fukami and his real name is Seichi Fukami. And most often they call him Prophet Fukami. And he was the, he's credited as the sound producer and composer of this game. And the fact that he has two titles makes me feel like composer is for music and sound is for like sound effects and stuff like that. So I thought if anybody's going to know, this guy's going to know. And I tried to reach out to him multiple methods. I tried to reach out on, you know, on Twitter and on Facebook and stuff like that. And then he's actually still in a band now called Hardy Music Club Band. And the subtitle of that band is basically Kukeha Club. It's basically all the same members who were back then doing that in the 80s and 90s, and they're just making this music now. And it's kind of a weird, it's basically fusion music. And I, I know I'm going all over the place with this because it's kind of a huge topic, mm -hmm. but it never occurred to me that like fusion music and video game music and like prog rock and techno and synth pop, they're all like sort of in this weird way connected to each other. You know, yeah. like when you think about like, like synth pop from the eighties, like the kind of music that the weekend is trying to re remake now, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs>
Imagine that, imagine sort of changing the tempo and stuff, and you have like that prog rock, like the soundtrack from Neverending Story, you know, like, down, down, whatever, you know. <laughs> You slightly tweak that a little bit, and then you've got like basically the kind of music that guys like Herbie Han- Herbie Hancock were making, like with with their yeah, like the fusion chameleon. music, you know, like the totally. Yellow Jackets and stuff. Yeah. yeah. All of these are like sort of similar, and so this guy S. Fukami, he originally played in a prog band that sounds totally like it could have been a never-ending story soundtrack. He then switched over, started making music for video games. He's in the Hardy Music Club band, and he's making this fusion music, and they're all basically noodling on a synthesizer or on a on a keyboard. So I tried so hard to get a hold of him. I haven't given up yet, but I haven't been able to to get a hold of him yet but i did get a hold of the number two co-producer which is yuji takenuchi and i'm going to play for you what i what he said for me okay so i asked him about the sound the voice work i said some of these voices were uncredited do you have any idea where that would have come from and here's what he told me that was a really long time ago so i don't really remember but back then it was common for us to use our in-house staff instead of hiring voice actors. For English or other languages, we usually ask the staff from Konami of America to record their voices and send it to us. So, if the voice actor is not credited, then there's a good chance that the voice work was done in-house. What? Oh, interesting. So it's just like a random coworker yeah. that that would send him and not get credited. Exactly. Yeah. So that sent me down this other path where now I'm kind of <laughs> Wait, hold on. So so a random co- Is this going to the place where a random coworker did the Colossus Colossus work? Some dude in the like mailroom accounting. <laughs> <laughs> he just brags about it at bars now no one believes him. I swear. Did he credit me? I, I think there's a distinct possibility that that's what we're looking at. I think that somebody from Konami of America, and keep in mind this is in 1982, so Konami of America would not have been that big yet. Yeah. Somebody there recorded their yell, this incredible Colossus roar, <laughs> and sent it over to them, probably in the physical mail, because... I was going to ask, yeah, how would sure they send a file like that? Maybe on a zip. Remember those old zip disks? Floppy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
They're like, look, man, uh, everyone, everyone's got to do their part around here. Like, we're trying to keep the doors open. We just need you to do this, this yell. All right, uh, you have a great voice. Right, right. So, so yeah, that that sent me on that path. So, you know, I I started reaching out to people who I could find that were working at Konami at that time. I found a couple people. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, there's a guy. There's a guy who's uh, he was a sound engineer working at Konami a little bit after that game, but like 1993, 94. Um, I actually, he's working for a game company up in Seattle now. So knowing that the game community is not that big, I asked our brother-in-law, Matt, to kind of put his feelers out and see if he can get in touch with this guy, um, if he knows anything. But there's a few people that I've been kind of reaching out to. So far, no leads, but I've, I'm hoping that we can find somebody who was at Konami of America in the nineties who can at least say, look, if anybody recorded, it was probably this weird guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining like an office, like a boring office building, but everyone, like no one did a voice. Like that's just what they sound like. So you're walking through like, Oh, welcome to Konami. Like that's when to go over there. He just, he just always says his name, you know, don't, don't get in the way of that guy. He just, he's the blob. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, you can't knock him down. So, you know, the coffee machine's over here. <laughs> what do you picture when you picture the Colossus guy? I think like some guy in the mailroom raging out like people aren't <laughs> people aren't filling out the forms correctly and he's just down there and he gets another <laughs> blank form and oh <laughs> Yeah. This is probably exact. I don't. I don't even want to find out what really yeah, happened because I yeah, like imagining yeah, this anymore. So good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now here's the thing. So, like, like the voice of the professor and other people like that who are actually talking. I can imagine that you would need American voice work, but I can't imagine that they would just send over and be like, "Hey, do a yell for us that sounds like a like a Russian." Yeah. <laughs> Bro, do you ever get worried and? Yeah, as you're like investigating and looking through like the names of people that worked there, like that they're gonna be worried that there's some guy stalking all of the ex employees of Konami. Yes, I worry about that in the case of this guy that I'm trying to get a hold of from Konami because I I sent him an email to his work email where he works now, and then I sent an email to his private email that I assume is his private email I found somehow or other. Um, and now I have like somebody from the industry reaching out to him and I'm like, at some point he either said no or just like, <laughs> you know, I don't know, he's getting creeped out by me, but, but, uh, I'm going to keep holding down. I'm going to keep, keep pursuing him doggedly until I get yeah, something from him. There's no reason to stop. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where, where we are right now is, is at this point where I'm, you know, I, my options at this point are to. Yeah, try to seek out somebody from Konami of America or to find out if it was somebody who did it here in-house. But it, it looks like it was most likely done in-house. Wow. Do you think they would have been paid for that kind of thing, at least? I doubt it. And not if it was just somebody, like like Evan said, some in the mailroom, <laughs> right, yeah. Right. I guess not. So. <laughs> he got an extra extra day of PTO. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now I did, I have something that's a little bit sort of not exactly related, but one of these guys actually friended me on social media. Um, and so I was kind of going through his, you know, as you do as a, as an internet stalker, going through his posts and stuff. And I found a post where he 
had found an X-Men t-shirt and he posted it up and said, all of us who worked on this, we've got to buy these. And basically the whole staff that's credited back there on the end of the game, which is only like 10 people, they're all commenting like, hey, that's my artwork. And hey, that's my, I remember doing this lettering and stuff. And, you know, who's going to give us the our compensation for this and stuff? <laughs> um, and it's weird because it's a, it's a project between Marvel and Konami, who are both kind of famously litigious and like hold on to their property really, really, you know, like tenaciously. So I don't know how that t-shirt ever got made, but I bought one and it's, it's the arcade game, like basically the panel of the arcade game. So it shows the characters and then like little captions and stuff. It's kind of a cool shirt. So. And so it was all the, all the original creators of the game wanting to buy the shirt. So you swooped in and, and stole one from out from underneath. Yeah. Them. And stole it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to hold it ransom and be like, you guys want this shirt? Yeah. Give me some answers. <laughs> You're going to have to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> So what that did answer for me, though, is there's a guy in the credits who is called M. Nomi. He's, he's listed as M. Nomi, and his job in the game is the professor. And I thought, okay, maybe this guy did the voice of the professor. But I think he's just, I don't know why they call him professor, but I think he did artwork <laughs> for the game. Because when I checked it out, he does. he's like a visual artist. And so I think he like designed, did some of the visual design for the game. But So that's another dead end, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I really think that you guys should go like, go and look at, listen to this soundtrack again, because it is pretty incredible. Like there's some tracks where if you guys remember, it's basically like samples. It's almost like an old oh, wow. early techno meets hip hop kind of thing with like the, the sound of the professor saying X-Men, X-Men, X-Men. samples all throughout it's just a really really cool soundtrack and i kind of i really wish that we could get one of these guys on mic to hang out and talk with us because obviously brandon you know a lot about this the technical side of this and i think it'd be cool to have musician talking to musicians but it just sounds like such a such a cool job too where you're you're making these music for video games and you're touring and and you know, performing as a musician as well, you know, because like you said, I, I just imagined it was some dude hitting buttons, you know, to kind of create these, these sounds, but it sounds like, I mean, these guys are, these guys are, you know, doing rock and roll, you know, at night mm -hmm. and then coming in and, and turning it into these, these video game sounds that are just killer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's one of those, like, um, one of those career things, like in the music world, like when you actually try to monetize your music, you realize selling your music isn't going to do it. Like, so you have to try to get com like creative with your music career, what you want to do. And, and, uh, it's, this is one of those areas that you just never really hear about. Like you hear a lot about sync licensing and licensing your music for movies and for TV shows and commercials and that kind of stuff. But writing, creating music for video game is like, I just, I don't, I don't think I know anyone I did talk to one guy who was starting to get yeah. into it. He was like taking a college course or something at like a community college. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, kind of want to reach out to him and see if he ever did anything with that. But it makes me wonder like, what is that? How viable it must be a fairly viable career, you know, just like it would be for if you're composing for, you know, films or whatever. 
probably even more so now just because there's so video games has expanded into like VR and you know mobile gaming and cloud gaming and everything else there's just so much of it out there but yeah um it is it's it's a totally different thing cuz when you look at when you read the interviews about these guys who were making it back then it's like you know i loved playing music and i loved playing video games it was the perfect thing for me but that's one thing to be interested in it, but to like be able to sit down and figure out technically how you're going to get, you know, those samples and stuff like that on a little chip is kind of crazy. So dude, that's where my head goes to, because I don't, have you played animal crossing? Yeah. Or at least the new version too. So they, there's a video that you can watch of the musician to do the main theme. And they're just a bunch of nerdy dudes like jamming out in a, in a, in a recording studio but like to your point yeah they probably only they're doing that now because they have the ability to do it but before they had to get super creative and it's it's just it's wild that that's now its own thing like it was just a way to get music into the game and now it has its own audience which is really cool right right yeah well so i guess the next thing for us all to do is to go and see one of these concerts (laughs) that'd be sweet i'd be down can we can we talk a little bit about um, that guy's, uh, the voice actor's Colossus? <laughs> Colossus? Colossus? I want to. Oh. Yeah. I want to see a, a clip of of someone playing the game with all the sounds, but the Colossus roar is, is Dan Gilvezan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it. Pretty awesome. I got to say, if we did have him on mic, I would have probably killed him with my impression, to be honest. But. <laughs> What, he was he was was he joking when he did that? Like, could you tell by his face? Like, I I think that's probably the best he could do. But he he was joking because he he goes on and does that like like twenty more times in the video. Like, <laughs> as he's explaining times? stuff, he does it a lot. Yeah. So, got your money's worth, I guess. Yeah, it'd be cool to get him on here. Do you think he'd come on and and do a little interview? I, I tried and it didn't. It didn't work, and that's why I eventually resorted to cameo. But, but maybe that's... we'll just maybe we can just pay for like seven cameos. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess so. You know, it'll be like a ten-minute interview. <laughs> there, there are um, personal calls you can do on there too, but he's not currently taking them. So, um, but that kind of re- leads me to where the the next. So the other path that we're following is the one that Evan mentioned before, which is the voice of the guy who did them, you know, in the new remake and Evan, you mentioned that he's a podcaster. Is that right? Yeah. He has a podcast. Um, and, uh, he's big for doing um, a bunch of voices on Dragon Ball Z. Um, the, uh, the English, um, dubs of those, uh, his name's Kyle a bear. So yeah, if we can get him either to, you know, do a crossover from his podcast to ours or something like that. He's on Cameo as well, but I would prefer to get him just, you know, having a loose conversation with us. Um, Because voiceover work is its own whole, you know, really, really fascinating kind of world. So I'm hoping we can get him to at least just talk about his his process and all of that and stuff. And then, you know, who knows, he would probably be really interested in trying to find this guy too. So he could help us out. Yeah, I'm sure he'd have some some background info. I mean, he's he's certainly not the guy who did the original, um, but it'd be interesting to see kind of what what info he had other than than just getting the sound bites for him to to replicate. Um, 
you know, I wonder what information he had uh, when he was doing that yeah. project. Yeah, and you know, it, the fact that they redid those voices means that there was probably a there was probably some kind of a copyright issue with them doing it because everything else was kind of carried over just you know entirely. So I'm he may know something about who who owns the original copyright. Yeah, be interesting to see, and you know, I'm sure he would. You know, he also probably appreciates the art of uh, of the voice work and some of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, you know, because he's made a career of it. Right, right, right. Especially if someone's uncredited. So the the next step, I think, is Evan for you to kind of tra- track that down and get us a talk with him, and maybe I can give to you, Drew and and Brandon. I can give you guys homework of giving you some names from Konami of America to kind of track down and and and. Uh, stalk them and get them to give us some info. Sweet. Yeah. Good work, yeah, bro. To it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're getting closer, I feel, even though this seems more impossible than the very first mission, which was impossible. So, <laughs> Well, at the, at the very least, you know, even if it is some random employee, like how, how fortunate that that guy busted out the roar that he did. Because it could have just been a lackluster sound, but I mean, it's anyone who's played that game, they know that roar. Um, so it's it's actually more impressive if it was just a Konami employee <laughs> who yeah. who's not a trained voice actor and he decided to bust that out and rock the world. He was just really pissed that day. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was finding a diamond in the rough for sure. All right, guys. Well, uh, yeah, next time I'm looking forward to, you know, chasing down these other leads. Sounds good. Good work today. Cool. Yeah. Talk to you soon. All right. You've been listening to Searching for Grog, a podcast about fuzzy memories, family mysteries, and the video games that tie them all together. Special thanks for this episode. First and foremost, go out to Dan Gilvezan for going far above and beyond the Call of Duty, and for doing your homework. Huge thanks to Yuji Takenouji, aka Technouji, for creating one of the most memorable soundtracks in video game history, and for being so kind and generous with your time to answer our stupid questions about Colossus. The same thing goes for Mitsuhiro Nomi, aka The Professor, for creating some amazing artwork for the X-Men video game, but also for taking the time to answer my silly questions. And a huge thank you to my friend Sats Kondo for doing a perfect voiceover for us. I owe you a beer, Sats. Our music is by Captive Portal. This episode and everything that we do will forever and always be dedicated to Nana Barb and Alyssa Gunn Maldonado.